John, I tell you, I am scared to death. Um, so, but I, I've always heard it said, if you get to the point where you're not scared, there's a problem. So, um, anyway, uh, it is an honor to be able to uh, preach behind this pulpit. I usually I lead the singing, but um, really it is an honor. Uh, first, I want to say thank you, uh, church family, for um, welcoming my family to this church um, it is really it I told preacher this it has felt like like home from the from the first week we got here it felt like home um, and uh, I just want to say to you all um, I've been to I've been member of several churches I've traveled and seen many many churches um, don't um, don't lose sight of what you have here don't take for granted what you have here and it is very special what this church has uh and pastor shook is um one in a million and you should um be thankful for that be thankful for him um anyway so my i'm not a preacher i don't claim to be a preacher um i was i would say brother max brother max when he led the song about you know we need to get peppy so you know it's wednesday night so i don't know if he was expecting i'm gonna put you to sleep or not or whatever um Maybe that's the case. Uh, but anyway, at the very least, you might get a good nap tonight. Um, so I was wrestling with what I was going to preach. I don't have a catalog of sermons. And so I Monday and Tuesday this week, I sat down and I, was, I had a sermon put together and spent, spent a couple days on it. And then Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I'm like, just, I just didn't have peace about that. I couldn't. I had, it was all done, it was a new sermon, I'm like, this is pretty good, and um, for me, this is pretty good, and um, it just wasn't coming together, it just, just didn't have peace about it, and so um, um, I'm going to preach a, a message I've already preached to the young people at the, at the high school, um, so most of them are going to hear it for the first time, because they probably didn't listen the first time when they heard it, um, but anyway, so I'm structuring my message a little bit differently than you would be accustomed to. My il- the illustration is going to be the largest largest section of this message tonight. So at the beginning, I'm going to read through a story. Uh, it's going to take f- 10, 15 minutes to read through the story. Um, I would encourage you to listen, try to uh, picture what's going on. This is an actual event, an actual historic, historical event that takes place. Um, I got this from the story from a book, and as I was reading through it, um, there was just some things that popped out to me. Oh, the, you know, this really, this would really apply. This principle can be applied to us, can be applied to the Christian life in general. Um, but you can uh, turn in your Bibles. If you want to oh, go ahead and turn there uh, ahead, you can to First Samuel chapter fifteen. You can turn there and wait for me. The winter of 1887 to 1888 was furious and unrelenting. Finally, though, on January 12, 1888, the morning came with a gentle reprieve. The air felt mild and fine, and the warm sun teased people out of their framed houses, soddies, and dugouts. Quoted, the day dawned bright and clear, and every object about the horizon was distinctly visible. Recounted uh, on January 16th, evening edition of the Minneapolis Journal. Many, many settlers jumped at the arrival of fine weather. Eric Olson, a Swedish bachelor farmer in Beaver Creek, Minnesota, took off on a half-mile walk 
to his straw stack to get the raw stuff for the twisted straw sticks he burnt for heat. Johnny Walsh, a 10-year-old farmer's son in Avaco, Minnesota, walked a mile to go visit at a friend's house. Norwegian immigrant uh, Newson made a run to Rushmore, Minnesota for extra supplies. What the settlers did not know, or could not know, was that a was that a dynamic blizzard was just then springing across Montana and northern Colorado. A massive cold front of air had formed around January 8th, shifting from Medicine Hat, Alberta, south through Saskatchewan. Both places saw violent wind conditions and extreme temperature drops. On January 11th, the front raced full bore across the United States, covering more than 780 miles in 17 hours. For the settlers who lived through it, the January 12th blizzard was not historic, but harrowing. A day of extreme trial for people who already knew hard living. Farmer and Norwegian immigrant Austin Rolag, just over the state line in Valley Springs, South Dakota, wrote that air turned silent and ominous. In the next moment, the blizzard crashed in. Quoted, about 3.30, we, had a, we heard a hideous roar. At first, we thought that it was the Omaha train that had been blocked due to the snow. My wife and I were near the barn when the storm came, as if it had slid out of a sack. A hurricane-like wind blew, so that the snow drifted high in the air. It would become terribly cold within a few minutes. It was as dark as a cellar, and one could not see one's hand in front of one's face. Carl Salty in Frontier, Minnesota, remembered that a dark and heavy wall billowed up around the northwest, northwest coming fast, coming like those heavy thunderstorms. Like a shot, in a few moments we had the severest thunderstorm I ever saw in my life, uh, severe s- snowstorm, excuse me, uh, with a terrible hard wind like hurricanes, snow so thick we could s- you could not see more than three steps from your front door. This was not a storm of drifting lace snowflakes, but a flash frozen droplets firing sideways from the sky, an onslaught of speeding ice needles moving at more than 60 miles per hour. Even without the whiteout conditions, climate experts call this zero-zero visibility. The term describes there is no horizontal or vertical orientation. It all looks the same. You have no bearing on where you are or what is, what is going on. Um, many people couldn't see, couldn't see because the microscopic bits of ice literally froze their eyes shut. In total blindness, with few buildings, fences, or landmarks to guide them, some settlers became completely and utterly lost. Norwegian immigrant Cecilia became frantic when her husband uh, was trapped out in the blizzard. She went out to look for him and became so confused she froze to death under a sled just 40 steps from her front door. Hanley Countryman of, of Alexandria was trekking back to his house with 40 pounds of provisions and lay down in the snow to die just 150 yards from his threshold. School children many of whom had left for school without coats, hats, and mittens because of the balmy morning, uh, were overcome by the blizzard. In many places, the, s- the snow made its debut just as students were walking home from school. The air was not only filled with blowing ice, but temperatures plummeted to frightening lows. By the afternoon, in Moorhead, Minnesota, it was 47 degrees below zero, and the force of the wind reportedly reported by the Minneapolis Tribune at 60 miles per hour. Through upper, uh, though upper Midwesterners lost the most, the blizzard was truly a nationwide phenomenon. Ice skating was reported in San Francisco on January 14th, 
along with frozen water mains in Los Angeles. Fort Elliott, Texas, registered a 7 below zero temperature on the 14th, and for the first time in anyone's memory, parts of the Colorado River in Texas froze over. Even for the lucky settlers who were safe at home, the weekend was not exactly toasty. Newspaperman Charles Morse, founder of the Lake Benton News, recalled uh, his office apartment in Lake Benton, Michigan. He, he quoted as saying, It was astonishing the manner and how this fine snow was uh, be able to fit through the smallest cracks and apertures of the house. His sleeping quarters were on the second floor, leading off a hallway at the, at the head of the stairs. On arriving home, he found the wind had forced open uh, the door, and the stairway was packed with snow. And when I reached my room, I found my bed covered with several inches of snow that had filtered over the threshold and through the keyhole. The most shocking and widely reported deaths were that of school children. Ten-year-old Johnny Walsh of Avaco, Minnesota, froze to death trying to find his house. Six children of the James Baker family froze to death while trying to make it home from school near Chester Township, Minnesota. They were found with their arms intertwined with each other in the snow. Eric Olson, the Swedish bachelor farmer, was, uh, was found a mile and a half from his house several days after the storm. Um, A.J. Hunt, a transit peddler who traveled uh, around southern Minnesota, wasn't discovered until April 1st, when enough snow had finally melted. A German immigrant named Hermann uh, Bursk walked to town on January 11th, but his body wasn't found in Renville County for another week. Um, he left behind three children and a wife, Johanna, who was eight months pregnant at the time of her husband's death. The Minneapolis Tribune macabrely noted that recovered corpses were so solidly frozen they give forth a metallic sound when struck. For years afterward, at gatherings, any size in Dakota or Nebraska, there would always be people walking on wooden legs or holding fingerless hands behind their backs or hiding missing ears under hats, wrote Laskin in uh, The Children's Blizzard. One result of the storm was the communities large and small, including frontier Minnesota, uh, invested in new, sturdier schoolhouses for their children in 1888. The longer effects, though, were, were psychic. For a certain generation of upper Midwestern settlers, the date of January 12, 1888, ran as, uh, rang with as much dark meaning as December 7, 1941, or September 11, 2001, would have today. Everyone had a story of where, of where they were when the blizzard hit. Uh, pretty uh, harrowing story um, from, of this uh, event. Um, so just some things that, I, that stuck out to me about this story. Um, in the book, it gives a lot, I mean, oh no, a lot more detail that I did not give here. But first of, first of all, I want to point out uh, in the story, number one, uh, some, some people, particularly the children in this case, some of the children did not obey. They did not do what they were told to do. Um, it gives several examples of certain families in the story where their parents told them specifically, if there's a blizzard, you stay where you are. If there's, if there's an inclement weather, and they're used to blizzards, they're used to bad weather in the northeast, South Dakota, you know, Minnesota, they're used to, ba to bad winter storms. But they were told if there's ever, uh, if you're ever at school, if you're wherever you're at, and the, the blizzard hits, you stay there and I will come find you. The, 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 the fathers told them, I will come get you. You do not move, I will come get you. Um, I... 
it made me think of how many times do we, you know, do we do this with God? Do, are we given a specific command or are we given a specific directive, something that we need to do, and we just directly disobey? We just don't, we just don't do it because maybe it's not expedient or maybe we think we know better. Um, you look in your Bibles in 1 Samuel 15. It's a very familiar story. I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of here. Uh, verse 3, talking about King Saul. Uh, verse 3, and it says, Go now and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Same, King Saul was given a directive. This is what you need to do. Here, you need to kill everybody, kill everything. You need to utterly destroy them. Period. This was your directive. But he thought he would have, a, he had a better idea. Verse 9, let's look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse did they destroy utterly. Uh, You can turn your Bibles to to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of, of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Um, excuse me, verse 3 as well. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So, uh, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Another example here of someone who was given a direct a direct order, a very simple instructions from God and simply chose to disobey, decided to not follow the instructions that God uh, gave him. Um, and then we see, we see what happened with Saul. We see the direct ramifications of, of his actions. And just like uh, the story, okay? You made a decision. There are can be pretty dire ramifications to decisions that you make. That's why following principle, following biblical principle, following what we are taught is so vitally important. Um, another example, a silly example, I guess, would be the story of the three little pigs. Okay, um, the you know as we know the story. Okay, they whatever they all build houses. And, you know, the one decides to save money and build it with straw. And the next one, he saves money and build it with sticks. And the last one, he, you know, he builds it with brick or stone or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, and the big red wolf comes on, comes by. He blows the house down. The first big blow, blows it down. He runs, the pig gets out and runs to his, his brother's house. And the wolf comes and blows that house down. And then they all get saved. Uh, that's not how the original story goes, by the way. In the original story, the wolf comes along, blows down the first pig's house and eats him. Then he goes to the next pig, blows his house down, and eats him. That's how the actual story goes. Um, So you can see there were ramifications for their decisions. They saved money, yes, but they got eaten. Um, Also, also in the original story, it finally, it ends with, um, well, now the, the wolf goes down the chimney, right? The wolf goes down the chimney, he puts a big pot of water under there, and the wolf, you know, whatever gets burned and then runs away. In, in the original, the wolf, the, the, the pig traps him in the pot, cooks him, and eats him. So 
that's sorry to ruin that story for you. But um, anyway, we have <laughs> we have uh, we have our pastor who teaches us who uh, our shepherd. Okay, he is uh, he is in communion with the Lord. He studies countless hours, puts time into his uh, into his sermons. Uh, is, is is in constant prayer and meditation and all this all this stuff. And uh, then we don't listen. We don't listen to it. We we um, we disregard it, or we say, "Oh, you know, I know better," or you know, "That's I'm the exception." I think that's the biggest thing that we, it's human nature. I'm the exception. Oh, it happens every single time. Every single time we we go along this path, or any time anyone else has gone along this path, we have a hundred examples. But I'm the exception. Um, we have the Word of God that gives us uh, to guide us and instruct us. Uh, in the ways that we should go, but we don't really use it. We don't use God's word as we should. Next point. Um, some people, some of them chose to live off of others. Some of, of them chose to live off of others. One of the, uh, one of the particular instances that talked about the Baker children, uh, which if you remember from my reading, all six of them would perish. Uh, the Baker children, they were at school and the blizzard hit. They were instructed to head home, and so they, they started trudging their way. At one point, one of the youngest, the, the youngest ones, I believe he was six or seven, um, he had a brother who I believe the oldest was uh, 16 or 17, and he was, you know, naturally, this, this young boy, he was tired, he was exhausted, uh, so his big brother picked him up, put him on his back to carry him. Sounds like a good, you know, he's a good big brother thing to do. Uh, unfortunately, this this young man would perish on his brother's back because he wasn't moving, because he wasn't generating body heat. He was just sitting there, and so he would perish sooner than his sooner than his siblings simply because he wasn't moving. Um, I wonder how many of us live. How many of us are riding the back spiritually of someone else? I wonder how many. Maybe we're riding on preacher's back. You know, we, we come to church on Sunday. We hear we have, we have a great feast from the Lord. Okay, we get warm bread from heaven. Okay, from, from sorry, that's a joke up here. Um, we get, you know, we get fed. We get great meals. We get, we, get, uh, we get buffets every Sunday and Wednesday night okay, from our preacher. But, but we, can't, we can't grow just from that. Right? We need to we need to get to the source ourselves. We need to seek the Lord ourselves. We need to get into the Scripture ourselves. We need to feed ourselves. Um, we uh, Psalm seventy three verse twenty six says, "My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." That there's going to come a time in your life. Now I know it's you know me saying this. I'm a young man. I haven't lived that long. But there will come time, times in your life when you can no longer, when maybe that person you rely on is, maybe goes, maybe fails. Maybe they leave the ministry. Maybe they, whatever the case may be, maybe they fail you. And, or you can't rely on that person anymore. You can't rely on whomever that is. You can't rely on, on your pastor or your spouse or your parents or your siblings, whatever the case may be. And it's all going to be on you. And that's when, uh, what true your your um, 
your true nature, not your true nature, but your, your relationship with God will show through. Proverbs 24.10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. When troubles come, we're going to find out who you really are. We're going we're to find out how much, how much you pray, how much you have a relationship with the Lord. Next, next uh, point that uh, uh, stuck out to me, this is a longer one. It says, in the story, it talked about there were some instances, some of the schoolhouses, some of the teachers there were, or the students were wise enough to know, okay, we're just going to stay here. We're going to stay in the schoolhouse, and we're just going to ride out the storm, okay? But some of them, some of the students, particularly younger ones, some of the smaller ones still perished, still froze to death inside the school. And why was that? Well, because of the horrible storm and the, you know, the, the shoddy building structures of, 18, of the 1880s, but because they weren't close enough to the fire. They, weren't, they, they, they were too far away from the source of heat. Um, are some of us freezing to death sitting in the pew on Sunday? Now, as we just mentioned before, okay, we, have, we, we, we are fed greatly with, from our pastor. Uh, you know, he's, he's a fire in the pulpit, okay? Obviously, he, you know, he, there is, uh, um, but do we, you know, are we close enough to it? Do we get it? Um, we sit in church where the fire of God is preached and we leave just as cold as ever. We get great Bible principles taught to us each Sunday in church and Wednesday night, Sunday school, but we never change. We never get, we never get that burning in our own hearts. We don't follow God's word. We drift away from the teachings of the word and fall into... Um, when you're not close, okay, you die. You're easily swayed to other things. Um, I, ha- I, in doing my research for this, I found some statistics I'd like to read to you. Um, two year, uh, poll was taken. This is a poll taken from uh, churches that would be considered um, um, evangelistic, okay? Um, which I looked up what that definition would be. Technically, it's basically any church that's not Catholic. That's crit, that's Protestant, okay? We would be lumped into that even though we're not. But, so this is uh, what you, you would say evangelical, okay, churches. Um, this uh, survey was, was done in uh, February of this year. Two years ago, so to, in this survey, uh, two years ago, so that would be 2021, a poll taken of evangelicals, Agreed. 22% agreed that gender identity is a matter of choice. 22%. That was two years ago. This year it was 37%. This isn't of like standing on the street corner in New York City and talking to wackos and whatever. This is in churches asking them what they believe. The share of evangelicals affirming the statement. Uh, here's a couple positives here, okay, according to this poll, but these are the only ones. Um, the share of evangelicals affirming the statement. Uh, sex outside of marriage is a sin, increased from 90% to 94%. On the sanctity of life, abortion is a sin. Evangelical support also rose from 88% to 91%. But then, if that's so strong, it's amazing how we have certain people in office. But anyway, um, two years ago, 15% said that the Bible, these ones are really, really tough, 
15% said that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 15% two years ago said that. This year, 26%. 26% of evangelical Christians say the Bible is not literally true. Um, here's another, another, another uh, stat here. Quoted, uh, this is the question, God or the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Was, was at 42%, now 56%. Meanwhile, the proportion of evangelicals agreed that the statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. It was 30%, it rose to 43%. For the first time in American history, church membership fell below half of the population in 2020. So it's only lower now. The overall decline of nearly 30% since the end of World War II. My last one year. This is post, okay, post-COVID. Attendance had declined to 85% of pre-lockdown levels. So you have that stat from before. Less than half of people attend church regularly. Of that half of Americans, that attendance was down 85% uh, from, you know, from all the, the lockdowns from COVID. Some 33% of professing Christians said they attend church four times per month or more. That was before lockdowns. Only 34% of people who say they're Christians attend church on a regular basis. A figure which declined to 26% by the spring of 2022. When we we don't have the fire in us, when we don't have the fire of God's word, of God's principles... We can be led in any. We can be led astray in any direction. We can have. We can be, uh, you know, driven aside by any whiff of doctrine or any change or whatever people say that's good. Whatever's in right now, okay. You can, we can be easily swayed. Are we prepared? Are we prepared when we go to church on Sunday and Wednesday night? When we when we come when we come to the house of God, are we ready for the preaching? Are we you know are we prayed up? Are we, we have our Bible out, are we ready? We got our pen out, we got ready to take notes, we're ready to learn. Okay, we're going to look for something in the sermon. You say, oh, I never, I never get anything from the messages. Well, maybe because that's your fault, for one thing. Because you're not looking for something. You're not looking for it. You're not ready for it. Jeremiah, I'll go and turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20, we'll just read verses 8 and 9. Very familiar uh, couple of verses here. The prophet says, for, uh, for since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I was weary for, for, with forbearing, and I could not stay. Do we, as the people of God, as Christians, as, you know, as the, the body of Christ, do we have that fire, like the prophet talks about here? Do we have that burning fire within our bones of, uh, of God's word, of the scriptures, to go out and tell people? Um, 
Uh, I have uh, another quote here I'm going to read. Uh, I was reading a book written by an atheist. Um, if I said his name, you, many of you would know who he was. He's not just an atheist. He's anti-religion. He hates religion. He hates uh, all things to do with God. Um, but this is his observation of, of, for lack of a better term, for religion, but Christianity specifically. He says here, Religious moderation is the product of secular knowledge and spiritual ignorance. It has, no, it has no bona fides in religious terms to put it on a par with fundamentalism. So even he's saying here, uh, as an atheist person who hates religion, who hates God, he says, he's, he's saying there is, like, there's no such thing as uh, religious moderation, as a soft Christianity. There's, that's, not, that's not possible. Um, I'll continue on. He says, the texts themselves are, are unequivocal. They are perfect in all their parts. Uh, by their light, religious moderation appears to be nothing more than an unwillingness to fully submit to God's law. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about Scripture. He says, um, well, let me finish the quote. By failing to live by the letter of the text while tolerating the, the irrationality of those who do, religious moderates betray faith and reason equally. Unless the core dogmas of faith are called into question, i.e., what, uh, that we know there is a God and that we know what he wants for, for, from us, religious moderation will do nothing to lead us out of the wilderness. Even a man who has no understanding of the Bible, he, he can look at it and say, if these things are true, okay, if what the Bible says is true, if this is, a, if this is pure words, if this is perfect word of God, and everything in it, you know, is, you know, we need to do everything in it. We need to do this. You know, it's commands from the Lord. If that is true, how can 50% of Christians who say that they believe God's word and follow God's word believe things that are completely against God's word? How is that possible? It's not possible um, as a Christian to not, to not follow God's word. And that's basically what he's saying here. Uh, I thought it was a good um, observation there. Next one. Next point, something that struck out to me. Some of the uh, the teachers, okay, some of the leaders, uh, back to, to the story, some of the teachers in the schools um, in the Midwest, okay, particularly in the early, uh, late 1800s, there wasn't a lot of colleges, there wasn't a lot of you know, people being taught, teachers graduating from school. So many of the teachers that were that were involved in the schools would would go to school out east, okay, back east, and they would you know go to universities there, and then they would come out and they would teach at the schools there. So many of them did not know the severity of blizzards and of snowstorms. You know, they didn't know the proper protocols. So many of many students, they simply did as they were instructed by their teacher. Okay. Uh, oh, the storm's coming, you better hurry and get home. Even though maybe the child knew knew better, okay, I need to huddle down, I need to stay here. They did as they were instructed. So this is this says to me, who are, who are we listening to? Okay? Who do we get our counsel from? Who do we get our, you know, our ideas from? Turn over to, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 12. First Kings chapter twelve, verse one. Going, uh, 
follow along with me as uh, we read the first several verses here. Another very familiar story for us. First uh, Kings chapter 12 verses, uh, we'll start in verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, and all, and all Israel uh, were come to Shechem to make, them, to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make you the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke would you put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart ye for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he, uh, while he yet lived, and said, How do ye advise that I, that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever." But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and uh, counseled with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give, give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken unto me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus thou shalt say unto them, but my little fingers shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now thereas my father did laid, did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father had chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. To whom are you listening? Clearly in the story here, okay, the Rehoboam was not listening to, did not take the right counsel. Okay, he was not listening to the right people, as you all are familiar with the story. How many times in our lives... Okay, do we not listen to the right people? Do we not follow the right advice? Um, do we follow uh, we follow someone who's not who does not have our best interests at heart? I.e., okay, our flesh, whatever, whatever, whatever we want to do, whatever your heart tells you, okay, um, whatever uh, the world tells us, whatever the social media influencers tell us. Whatever, the, whatever that celebrity who's been divorced six times tells us about our marriage that we should do, um, or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, when we, when we have a problem, when we have something that needs to be addressed, when we, we go to the scripture first, we go to, you know, we go to someone for wise counsel first, you go to our pastor first, or we go to the scriptures first, we pray about it, we go to our pastor um, uh, a, th- a not a thing, but a not a philosophy, but just a way that people are nowadays. Um, I looked up this term. It's a it's a mouthful. Okay, it's a four dollar word. Um, the term ultra crepidarianism. Okay, is the habit of giving or act the habit or act of giving opinions on matters outside the scope of one's knowledge. The Bible calls you a fool. But uh, that's just a fancy term for it. Um, we read, I think it's funny, as, as every, you know, as there's news headlines, all of a sudden everyone's an expert on that thing, okay? Um, we read half of a headline about what's happening in Ukraine, and suddenly we're experts on the geopolitical ramifications of, of the, you know, Eastern Europe. Or all of a sudden, you know, 
we they lose a submarine and we're all experts on deep sea nautical you know whatever because we read half an article about it oh they that wouldn't have happened if they did this oh please okay you have no idea what you're talking about um anyway that is uh and then we saw that most obviously okay with all the stuff with through covid and all that stuff um people saying that we know we know this for sure and but we have a i'm not a doctor i know nothing about this but we know this for sure and there's a doctor over here saying the exact opposite thing who knows what he's talking about but that's not what the government wants so we're not going to do that anyway um by the way just randomly it's okay to not have an opinion about something just throwing that out there it is it's okay to not have an opinion if you don't know about it, maybe you shouldn't have an opinion because you don't know enough to have an opinion. Anyway, I'm getting off on that. Uh, last point here. Last point here and we'll be done. This is a good one. Okay, It was pretty negative up to this point, but it's a good one. Those, uh, those who lived, okay, those who survived, many of them, as I said in the story, many of them had scars. Okay, You could tell who got caught out in the blizzard because who got frostbite because they had to have limbs removed or they had to whatever the case may be but uh but they lived they could still live good lives um as it says in many years you could you could go to town uh towns where the storm hit and at large gatherings you could see who was missing hands and fingers uh we may have scars okay we may have battle wounds from the world from sin from this from from fighting the world from fighting this uh flesh that we have um, but no matter our past, okay, God wants to use us. God still wants to use us no matter uh, the scars we have. There's countless examples all through the Bible. The Bible is filled. There's no perfect people in the Bible. The Bible is filled with people who had failed, who failed, who made dumb decisions, uh, but God still used them, okay? King David, he sinned with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, but God used him. John Mark quit on one of his missionary journeys, but God would use him. Paul was a leader, uh, uh, was leader who jailed, beat, and killed Jews, but God used him in a mighty way. Peter was a hothead who denied Christ, uh, but God used him. Samson disobeyed God, uh, but God would use him. Jacob was a deceiver, and God used him. Abraham disobeyed God and uh, had a child with Hagar, but God would use him. Moses killed a man and disobeyed, but God used him. Uh, for the example, before Jonah, he ran from God disobeyed God, but God would still use him to bring a whole city to Christ. We have many examples uh, and many other examples throughout throughout Scripture. You can probably have some in your own life, okay? Maybe even yourself, maybe family members. You know that we're in the world, that we're in sin, that turned, or, that turned around, and that God is using them in a mighty way. No matter our sin, we are new creatures in Christ when we accept him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are new creatures in Christ, and we live, uh, and we can live uh, a victorious Christian life. We as Christians should not settle for tranquility. Okay, tranquility is merely the absence of the enemy. We should strive for victory. The victory is the defeat of one. Mark chapter ten verses twenty seven says, "And Jesus, looking upon them, said." Uh, with men it is impossible, but with God, uh, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. We can have 
uh, victory. Okay, stand, everyone stand, please. I will pray for us, and then we will be dismissed. Thank you for coming.